0: Welcome to the Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. Today my conversation is with Matt Hill from Start9. He's a CEO over there and I love the company because honestly, I really suck with technical um, stuff. I'm kind of a moron when it comes to uh, self-hosting and, and doing stuff like that. And the embassy, their, their flagship product makes it really, really easy to self-host some really cool applications ranging from bitcoin node btc pay server all the way to file browser Nextcloud, and you know private messaging and and so he talked about some of the upcoming features that they're launching on the embassy and i think this is a great tool for anybody that cares about privacy and cares about uh, not Going to this crazy dystopian feature where the big tech controls everybody and everything, and we're seeing that today, and it's pretty gross. And uh, yeah, but anyways, it's a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. All right, we're recording. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Good to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so we met at uh, Guns of Bitcoin a couple of weeks ago. That was a lot of fun. Um, it was cool to see you guys selling. A bunch of Start Nine embassies all over the place. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty excited about the product. I've been shilling it everywhere I go for the most part. Uh, but yeah, what was your inspiration uh, for the company? Um, there's sort of the ideological
1: inspiration, and then some of the more practical, you know, implementations of that ideology. So the ideological inspiration was freedom, uh, to put it bluntly. Uh, personally, I have been a, you know, um, I guess as an example, when I was young, I would, um, anytime there was a restaurant or bar or park bench where I had the opportunity to leave a mark, you know, like using a, like a steak knife in the table or something, you know, how some restaurants like let you carve into the table or park benches, um, I would carve the word free, uh, sort of my like mark that I would leave. Um, and just F R E E, right? Not freedom, not free stuff, just free. And uh, to me, that was always just, you know, um, the, the battle cry, the, the you know, what, what my heart's desire was. I just wanna be free. And I want everyone to be free. Uh, and so, you know, I've always sought activities, projects that enhanced my own freedom, augmented the freedom of those around me. And um, those have taken various forms. And this is the latest rendition and the biggest and the coolest. (laughs) So um, that's the essence of Start9 and myself and my partners and everyone who works at the company is we are trying to make it such that, A human being has the ability to be free. Uh, Now, we unilaterally can't make that possible or impossible, but we build products uh, that help an individual accomplish that goal, Uh, namely digital products. Well, we actually sell a physical product, but it enables you to exist freely in your digital life, not your physical life.
0: Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, one time I carved my name into somebody's driveway and they happened to be my neighbor. And that wasn't a very good decision because they figured out it was me right off the bat. They must've been really, really smart. Yeah. Well, I I was pretty dumb (laughs) as a 11 year old kid, but it just made me think of that. If you're going to vandalize somebody's property, you probably shouldn't put your name on it. Yeah. My, my, uh, (laughs) my, uh, Um, street smarts have gotten a little bit better since then, fortunately, but um, that was a pretty embarrassing situation. But yeah, um, when we look at technology today, it's becoming more and more centralized and, you know, 2020 and then this year as well has just been absolutely insane with like censorship and, um, you know, data collection has been a problem for a while. So, you know, with with the trend of technology, do you think that we're going to be like I, I think there's a demand for what you're doing, but um do you think there's gonna be some fight back against your company and uh against movements that are promoting freedom and uh privacy in general?
1: Okay. Yeah, there's a I think there's a couple questions there. So the first would be sort of do we expect pushback from either tech giants, you know, incumbents or even potentially political adversaries like governments, nation-states even? Uh, The answer is yes. Um, We do not think that people give up power uh, easily, um, nor should they, right? Uh, They don't have an obligation to cede their status or power simply because there's some upstart doing something that they don't do. Um, But that is a battle that we... um, are expecting and are therefore taking not only precautions but just standard, you know, measures to protect ourselves uh, and win. Um, and I don't mean this in any sort of like political revolutionary sense. I just mean we want to build and sell products that we feel very strongly are good and moral and useful and in demand, as you mentioned, which we can talk about. Uh, what we are seeing from our customers, but uh, and that we want to be able to keep doing that. So we don't want someone to be able to come and tell us that we can't sell a good, honest, moral product that the market wants at a fair price. We think that that is good old-fashioned business, and we intend to keep doing it. Um, And so we are taking both technological, uh, regulatory, and strategic precautions and measures to ensure that we will be able to do that. So so long as the market wants our product, we expect to grow um, and we expect to survive. Now, um, what size of market is that, I think was implied in the early part of your statement. Um, it's small-ish at present. Um, and when I when I say market, I mean, the, the number of people who are today willing to buy, who are demanding a product like the embassy is relatively small. Um, but I would argue the next rung of people, the ones who would buy an embassy, uh, if they only understood the nature of their current digital life, and the alternative offered by our product. So we view the primary way by which we expand our market and address new customers is education. We,
0: um,
1: education is the centerpiece of our marketing efforts, or at least will grow to become that. Um, Cause we think the more people we educate about their world and about our solution to the problems inherent in their world, that the market is massive. In fact, we we think that our model is the future of personal computing. Um, it doesn't mean that we will deliver the entirety of that product set, obviously. But we think that the overarching model of what we have previously been calling sovereign computing is the future of computing. Um, and we think that for two reasons. One, because if it's not, the world is in trouble. Um, If personal computing is not personal, then the problems we are experiencing today with centralization and cloud infrastructure will only get worse um, until a sequence of disasters occurs. Um, So we need it to be the future of personal computing if it's a world we want to live in. Um, And secondly, we just think it's better. Uh, We think that this is a better product Uh, for the individual, um, or at least that it could be at maturity. Our product is still relatively immature. While it does work, it is not complete and won't be for some time. Um, But we think it's a better product at a fair price and without all the baggage and risks of the current product set.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on education. Now, if this product had been presented to me about four years ago, I would have looked at it and just been like, yeah, I have no interest in it. Um, but my Bitcoin journey has kind of led me uh, to seeing the importance of something like this, of self-sovereignty. And I think that's the, the case with a lot of people. And why I love um, teaching people about Bitcoin is like, you know, they get, they start buying it and they start looking at the way that money works and asking questions that they wouldn't ask before. I think partially because there's a monetary incentive uh, tied to it, which, um, you know, makes them think a lot more about it. And, uh, you know, they start to see how KYC AML laws are bad. Um, And they start to see how the taxation system is crazy and how inflation is bad. And there's kind of this journey that people go through with Bitcoin um, to get to that point where they see,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, how broken the system is. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent, you know, as far as like the importance of decentralization, um, you know, with sovereign computing. Cause you know, one of one of the things that, uh, It just has me freaked out, you know, as like a content creator, seeing what YouTube is doing right now with censorship, what Twitter is doing right now with censorship and trying to control narratives very, very clearly and how that could uh, really play out in the future. And like with these pushes of of ideas like um, the vaccine passport, which would implement almost like a social credit score um, system in the United States, uh, that's that's pretty crazy um, and and pretty terrifying and to think like you know what what, i'm kind of curious what you think of this so uh, verizon has been working on um cloud-based gaming recently um so that instead of running it directly on your you know xbox or whatever you would be streaming it based from there and i think that's kind of a you know, a picture into, like, how this centralized computing, cloud-based computing would work comparatively to the way we have today where, you know, your files are stored directly on your uh, machine uh, versus in this giant database controlled by this big tech monopoly company that is not subject to treating your data well. Um, is that is that kind of what you're alluding to as far as, like, that idea of, like, the centralization of computing and, and what we're fighting against right now stuff like that
1: yeah um so there's a decent amount to unpack there um you know regarding your citing your own journey um i think that's true for a lot of people you know you you come for the money and you stay for the sovereignty uh, bitcoin is a rabbit hole that leads to the idea of independence um, self-sovereignty and in all things and and it teaches us how to accomplish those things right it Toutes touts decentralization as a, an essential principle. It touts uh, trustlessness, uh, personal responsibility. So Bitcoin really upholds certain principles that lead to um, self-sovereignty, independence, and ultimately you know, freedom in, in the broadest sense, just a free society of free-thinking individuals. And um, so we are a natural progression of, of Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin showed us the way um, and is here to stay. Uh, we are—we neither, neither us nor anyone—is a replacement of Bitcoin. We are an extension of it, a logical extrapolation of Bitcoin's uh, message to the world, which is decentralization, trustlessness, self-sovereignty, personal responsibility. Um, we're just applying that to computing in general. Uh, and the reason we're applying it to computing in general, which dovetails into the second part of your statements, uh, is that the current model has problems um and the problems with the current model are not convenience um accessibility stuff like that the problems with the current model are mostly in negative space uh, as in you don't see the problems readily which is why they were permitted to exist and grow is because they were in negative space um you you have to understand the way the systems work and you have to um study them or wait for you know, the, the lava to seep through the cracks before you recognize that there is a problem brewing, right? You start to feel the tremor in the ground, and you're like, wait a second, something is wrong. What is it? Um, and what it is, is is centralization, right? The idea of um, creating honeypots of value. So with you know, Bitcoin, it's about you, know, you honeypot a bunch of Bitcoin onto an exchange. And that enhances the probability that that exchange is going to get hacked because the risk reward, the effort reward ratio uh, makes it worthwhile, right? So you're willing to pump in uh, a fortune and time and energy to hack a large centralized Bitcoin exchange because the payout is massive. So you're willing to take the risk and uh, pay the expense. But when you have everyone in the world holding their own keys, uh, holding their own Coins, then the effort to extract the same amount of money uh, is exponentially larger. Right? It's it's orders of magnitude larger by however many people you've spread it out with. So it's a basic tenet in security. Actually, is not to put everything in one place, not all your eggs in in one basket. And the same applies to data. Right? When you honeypot massive amounts of data into a single server or behind a single set of keys. The chances of it getting hacked are near certain at a, at a certain uh, level of value right it's it's an inevitability because these things are protected by humans right we talk about encryption and you know um sort of application security app sec and uh that stuff's pretty good right there's nothing wrong with encryption uh, it works really well um in fact we have decades of experience building secure digital systems And it's not like some hacker, you know, with enormous skill can just sort of like fight their way through these systems. Like you can't brute force encryption. Um, So how do you hack, right? Hacking is done through people, you hack people. Um, So any human being, right? All the data at these companies might be protected by encryption, but there are ultimately people who have the keys to decrypt. Otherwise the data is useless if no human can ever access it. So we know that there are humans who can access data. And so long as there are humans, there is vulnerability because humans are fallible. Um, we are corruptible, we are bribable, we are blackmailable, uh, we are we can be coerced. Um, you just it's gonna happen. If if there's something to hack and there's a human guarding it, eventually it, that human will succumb to some force. So uh that's the essence of the problem is that we've sort of honeypotted all this data into the hands of a few very uh, into very few places. Um, the second part is communications. So the, the, the access points themselves. So there's data, which we mostly think of as privacy, right? Like this is confidential information um, that has value, and uh, it needs to remain confidential and secure. Um, and then there's access, uh, which is the, the counterpart to that is censorship resistance. So the other problem with the computing infrastructure is that it is under the control. It's permissioned, right? That your ability to use one platform or another, or even to text message your significant other is a permissioned action. You are essentially asking for permission every single time you want to do anything with your cloud computer. Uh, and if you find yourself on the wrong side of, of that judgment, um, either by... The, the company that is permissioning your access, or by a higher authority of the nation state, then you're out. You're cut off, right? Whether it's deplatformed from a social media um, platform or, uh, again, just private messaging, um, it's not really your activity. You are renting that space, you are asking for permission. And so, most of these things, the two points here, right? The potting of Data and the security vulnerability that that um, creates and the permission to access and the censorship possibilities that that creates most often exist in negative space. As in most people, most days don't feel the impact of those negative, negative aspects because, um, because hacks don't happen very often uh, or at least that we know about, right? um, and you're not cut off and censored. Um, and actually there's a third Well, I'm at it, I might as well cite the third problem is that when you have permission to access to things as basic as data storage and communication, um, eventually through centralization, those pipes and access points and storage facilities will be controlled by fewer and fewer and fewer people, uh, fewer and fewer companies ultimately resulting in oligarchic or monopolistic behavior, which means rent extraction, extortion. So you can expect that as we continue to centralize the cloud services, that the rents will go up and there will come a day when uh, you can't pay the rent and they'll say, well, I guess you don't need to make phone calls or text message or do anything, right? You're, you. You're so much of your life is dependent on these systems that being cut off is, is horrifying. Uh, and so you'll do anything to stay connected, including selling the farm. Uh, we don't see much of that today because the tech giants are all jockeying to become that monopoly. <laughs> they all want to monopolize the space such that they can then squeeze and crank up the, the pressure. Um, which is why they're all willing to make no money up front and figure it out later because they know that once they own the pipes, then they can squeeze a little bit. So again, negative space because almost everything you use today is quote free, right? As in, it doesn't cost money. It costs you data and some privacy, et cetera, but but it doesn't cost money. Um, All three of those will change. Hacks will happen. You may or may not get cut off depending on which country you live in and who's in power at what time, and you will get squeezed for rent. Um, And so eventually this system turns out to be a disaster for humans, even though to date it has been a godsend. It has been an amazing development of human history, uh, global interconnectedness through cloud computing. But there has been a monster growing in the shadows. uh, And it is only now starting to rear its teeth and people are starting to get scared. And that's where we come in is we offer an alternative to this future an alternative where you the individual are in total direct sovereign control over your data your communications uh and it's all free by
0: nature it has to be
1: you pay for electricity
0: yeah yeah i mean that's that's pretty astounding um so when you, when you say like they're squeezing the rent um what what do you think that would look like in in the future specifically like them charging for the service or um could it be even like the the social implications like we see today if you don't fit into this box then you're not allowed on our platform or um is there anything else that you think they could be doing with that So the latter, the you don't
1: fit in, you don't belong in our platform, I'd put more in the censorship box rather than the rent-seeking squeezing behavior. Um, The rent-seeking squeezing comes in two forms, right? As in they're squeezing value out of you. And you have two things of value to offer. One is your data and the other is your money. And so we've already seen data squeezing practices. That happened first, um, because the terms and conditions and the privacy policies just keep changing under our noses. And what we're not reading is (laughs) increasing amounts of, we value your privacy, we value your privacy, which is why we only handle your data in these certain ways, right? But it is still, that is their means of revenue, right? Anytime you're using a free app, you are the product. Um, And so you can expect increasing amounts of abuse over your data. Uh, certain laws in some jurisdictions sort of try at least to prevent abuse of personal data. Uh, And so they have to then turn to alternative means of uh, making money, which would be uh, subscriptions. So a lot of the apps now that you use take like Adobe, for instance, Um, the Adobe suite like Illustrator and used to be downloadable software, as in you would buy it, same with Windows and Microsoft Office, right? You'd buy it and you would own it and you would run it on your computer and you could create cloud backups either through Adobe or Microsoft or through your own backup system or you could save it to a USB stick, but it was basically your software on your computer and there were a certain number of licenses, you know, number of computers that you could install it to. Um, you can't do that anymore. There is no way, to run the Adobe Suite without Adobe Cloud. You actually can't buy their software anymore. You can only rent it because somebody decided or figured out that the number of customers who would be lost, and this is because Adobe has essentially you know, uh, massive mind share and market share in this segment, Once they achieved that kind of brand recognition that like, hey, we own this corner, like when somebody thinks about how do you edit photos, they're going to think of Photoshop, right? So they own that corner. Obviously, there are competitors. And somebody at their company, rightfully, from a business model perspective, figured out that by getting rid of the downloadable software and switching to a cloud-based model, their lifetime revenue of a customer would go from $300 to $300 a year right? Or 150 a year and that they're unlikely to cancel within four years. So we've essentially doubled or tripled the lifetime revenue expectation per customer. And some customers are not going to be okay with this and they're going to leave. Well, the number of customers who are going to leave are this percentage. So we've scratched them off and we, and overall we're making more money than we were. And so it's a valid business decision. Like I don't blame Adobe for doing this, But what is the counterbalance? What is the alternative in the marketplace? Like when a customer is like, I don't like that. What happened to the people who left? Where did they go? When all companies are doing this, where do you go? There is no alternative. So we are trying to provide that alternative. We're trying to offer people a way to own their software once again. To own their computers, once again, to not be renting every single time you pick up your phone or your computer, you're just renting space and time on somebody else's computer. In fact, many other people's computer, because every time you open a different app on your phone, you're just renting space for the period of time that you're using that app. And during that time, you're being charged for your data. They're just collecting everything they can about you. And you are paying potentially some of these things, in addition, uh, with, monthly subscriptions. And what I'm saying is that until something like us offers a significant counterbalance to that trend, there is no reason for it to stop. The data collection will continue and the rent seeking subscription practices will raise. And I don't look at those companies and go, they're evil. They're stealing your data and they're they're charging you subscriptions. They're doing exactly what they can do, right? They're doing exactly what the market will bear. And so, if you don't like it, you gotta you gotta buy something else. You gotta find an alternative, right? I'm for the free market. I don't go, oh, that's that should be illegal. Let's empower government more to tell Adobe they can't, you know, that they can that they need to offer downloadable software as opposed to you know cloud cloud software. And it's like, no, I'm not for that either. What I am for is competition. So here we come.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that that's just like the general ethos of open source in general is the idea of going out and, and doing things without permission. Like, I mean, the, the 3D gun printing community, my first introduction was, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago at the conference and it just blew my mind the way that people are just going out and doing this. And same thing with Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, what as far as like, you know, customer feedback on, on the product, what how, what has the reception been like and and what do people want and what are they most excited about with the embassy?
1: Um, Yeah. So when we first launched, we were, you know, predominantly a Bitcoin product. Um, People thought of us as a Bitcoin product. We had Bitcoin as our first service that we offered on the marketplace. And so we were very quickly compared to like, you know, a Bitcoin node you know, and the embassy is a plug and play Bitcoin node. And that was true, you could plug and play a Bitcoin node with our product, Um, but we knew from the very beginning that this was only an entry point for us, an important one that we knew would never go away. And in fact, we are doubling down on the Bitcoin stack and offering more and more services that are based on Bitcoin, Um, but we were going after general computing. And only recently, like really recently, in the past few weeks, has the public perception of Start9, according to our perspective, um, really pivoted to what we want it to be, right? We were almost universally compared to other plug-and-play Bitcoin node products uh, for our entire existence until a few weeks ago, and suddenly something tipped. We reached some kind of inflection point, and people are now starting to call us you know, like the self-hosting platform right? The sovereign computing platform. And we're like, yes, okay, we broke through. We are no longer just a Bitcoin node. People are recognizing that what we're building is so much more than that, um, that we really are building a new kind of computer and computing platform. And, um, and they want it all. The biggest question that we get in our support chat is, when, when Matrix, when Nextcloud, when Home Assistant? Um, they want the big ones, right? Those are the big ones. Uh, when Mastodon was a big question for a while, and then we launched Mastodon. Um, and we've launched a couple of things very recently. Uh, now that our service packaging guide is, has been published, uh, community development efforts and our own ability internally to turn over new services, uh, is at an all-time high. Um, we, you know, we're going to launch a lot of, a lot of things this year. And by the end of the year. There aren't going to be many things that you can't do with your embassy that you can do with your phone or computer. Um, You're going to be able to do almost everything. Uh, None of them are going to be as convenient or great as the cloud-based stuff because those are funded by massive companies with decades of R&D and UX experience. And we're dealing with open source software that was passion projects of a few people. So, um, But we will catch up. The open source system will catch up. So, you know, when you talk about what the reception is like and what the questions are, so the reception has been phenomenal. Uh, It's what has kept us going and kept the enthusiasm behind the project. Is um, we have passionate supporters. We don't just have people who are like, you know, we you built a cool product. Thanks. Um, We have people who are more and more viewing Start9 uh, as a movement as an idea itself, right? The fact that we are a company is almost incidental, right? We are a company for very practical reasons. We're a company because people need to get paid. Humans have to live and put food on their table. And so we viewed being a company as a very practical way of doing the work that we want to do. But the work that we want to do is what's important here, not the organization that does the work. It's Do we have the time and ability to do what we want to do? And that's what people are focusing on, which is great. That's what we want them to be focused on. Um, It's what we're focused on. So we are getting people coming into our Telegram channel, into our Twitter DMs and private emails uh, and public comments that are just incredibly rewarding. we don't really have a lot of haters, which is a remarkable thing to say in this world. I don't know of almost anything that doesn't have a lot of haters. Um, maybe we're not big enough yet to have a ton of haters, but we haven't even seen any kind of like increase. I mean, as we've grown in popularity, it's all been positive. Um, and we attribute that to the essential goodness of what we're doing. Uh, we really, there is no catch here. There is no catch, right? There, there's no, backdoor or secret, It's we are genuinely, honestly, trying to deliver a great product at a great price uh, that accomplishes a deep human need. Uh, and we are working our asses off <laughs> to make that possible. And I think our customers, our partners, our community recognize that, and they have acknowledged it publicly, loudly, and privately. And we're really, really grateful. And it has kept us going to know that we are being recognized and we are delivering what is wanted. And then immediately after it's like, oh, you guys are awesome. You're crushing it. I love it. Hey, when are you gonna do next cloud? <laughs> it's like, like, all right, all right. You know, like they want more and, um, and that's great. We're gonna, we're gonna deliver more, uh, but we also need help. So, you know, scaling is a real thing. Um, we have real business considerations to scaling. We can't just sit around, write code all day. Uh, we have a, you know, we have to ship, we have to pay people. There's HR. It's it's all the things. Um, so we are doing it and we are scaling, we are growing, we're going to deliver. Um, and yeah, it's mostly just more services, uh, and external drives, right? That's the other big ask is that the embassy in its current form has a big bottleneck. Like a, a huge sort of flaw in the product, um, which is that it does not currently offer um, external drive support. There's no, You can't plug in a SSD or an NVMe and get the benefits of a huge, fast hard drive, which is critical if you're going to be, one, syncing a Bitcoin node. Uh, or two, storing massive amounts of photos and videos and music and files and running 15 services in parallel. Like You need fast, reliable, large storage, and we don't offer that. We shipped a product that didn't need it at first, and as we've grown and upped the service offerings and done more R&D on the market, we've determined that we really, really need it uh, we probably should have started with it in retrospect, but you don't get everything right. And we are working like racehorses right now to try to reach that milestone. Um, and it will be an upgradable thing. So this will not invalidate any embassies we've sold to date. They will still work as intended. You just upgrade them by adding a drive, which you can buy at any store.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited for that update. That That'll allow Huge. me to do pretty much everything i want with it and uh um yeah i mean i i've just been amazed since i bought it you know you guys have pushed out multiple updates with uh you know different services and and i had, you know initially thought that i was going to be um waiting a lot longer than i have been to do things that i have wanted to on it um yeah. just because it, it you know it is a lot of work it is really difficult doing it right but i've been really impressed with you guys and really excited about it and um the way that it opens uh um the door just to think differently and do things differently and have the alternative to the google or you know whatever um so yeah that being said when when next cloud Mm -hmm. i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) we get asked
1: about next cloud all the time next cloud is a beast it's a big program um and there's nothing fundamental that prevents us from doing next cloud in fact you know, the, the biggest challenge of Nextcloud, um, I know you were kind of joking, but we might as well address it because people do want to know. Um, one of the biggest hindrances to Nextcloud is, is email. As crazy as that sounds, is um, SMTP. Email is hard to do uh, over Tor. So, you know, email is hard to do, period. Uh, email is an incredibly ancient, antiquated piece of shit centralized protocol. Uh, I mean, sorry, the protocol is not centralized, but its implementation has been enormously centralized. Uh, It is very hard to send and receive emails in a sovereign way without getting dropped into spam folders, uh, et cetera, right? You really need one of the big providers to be processing your emails for it to work smoothly. Um, And then you add Tor into the mix and it basically becomes impossible. Uh, when I say basically it's, we can do it, um, but we are also exploring and will be implementing at some point, clear net support. So you will be able to access your embassy on a clear net website. Um, like I would be able to put mine at like, you know, embassy.mathill.net. and that would be my embassy. And then all the services would be hosted, uh, as well. So, you know, it's important that Tor is there as a fallback, because using ClearNet means you are inherently relying on the DNS system and the, uh, the certificate authorities of the world. And um, you can be cut off, essentially. So Tor is necessary as a fallback, but implementing ClearNet support will give us a lot of, you know, a lot of people will really appreciate it. Um, and it will enable something like Nextcloud much easier. So we're still trying to kind of decide what comes first. Uh, our sort of clear net support story and then next cloud in a very streamlined way or next cloud in a little bit of a hacky way and then clear net support later um, and we don't really know yet uh, honestly we need to get a little bit dirtier with NextCloud. we need to get our hands in there and get it up and running and see what the challenges are um, and uh, yeah so it's coming um, the big one that we are most excited about, I would argue, pretty significantly more than something like Nextcloud, uh, and that what we think is our killer app, like we we think it's what brings us to the next rung of market of customers, um, like outside of the crypto Twitter space, right? What's the next group of customers? Because that's a very small world. Um, we need we need privacy advocates in general, right? To to um, take on our product to uh, want to buy one. And so the, the app that or the service that we're going to use to do that, we think is Matrix. Um, Matrix, I have mentioned, uh, I believe on the uh, previous podcast, um, we are now starting to talk about it publicly because we are very close to releasing it. Um, Matrix is the killer of all messaging apps. It is the end of the road for messaging. Uh, at least given modern technology. Now, it's possible that in the future, some new radical technology will be invented that enables me to like send a message to you with my mind. But given the current state of technology on Earth, Matrix is the end of the road. It cannot get better than Matrix. Matrix can get better, as in they can add more features and make the service better. But the idea of Matrix run on the embassy is the end of the road for messaging. There's no way to make it better or more private. So you're running your own matrix server on your own physical hardware in your own home over Tor V3. Messaging with anyone in the world, whether they have a matrix server or not, whether they're using their own matrix server or using yours or using the big matrix.org home server, doesn't matter. You will be able to install Matrix on your embassy with the push of a button and message with anyone on earth with absolutely zero chance of censorship. Nobody can stop you from messaging anyone that you want at any time that you want from anywhere and zero chance of uh, surveillance. Messages are not only end-to-end encrypted both in one-on-one chats and in group chats, but they are onion-routed around the Tor network. <laughs> so it is literally as private and anonymous and sovereign as you can possibly get with a messaging app. And it's fully featured. Matrix is a full-featured messaging protocol. Most people don't know that. They think about a lot of open-source software and you know these sort of off-channel things as being, well, It works, but it's not as good as Telegram, or it works, but it's not as good as Slack. Nope, it's better. It's better than those. (laughs) Okay, the UX of Matrix, the experience of using Matrix, I argue is better than those messaging protocols, and it's free, open source, self-hosted, anonymous, and end-to-end encrypted. There's nothing better that you can do, and we're gonna make it a button. So we think that Matrix is our killer app, or one of them at least. Um, Because we already saw over the last, what, couple months, millions and millions of people migrating from WhatsApp and Telegram over to Signal. Millions of people are looking for private messaging. Every single one of those people who migrated from WhatsApp and Telegram over to Signal, plus every single person who was using Signal prior to this migration, every one of them is implicitly, if not explicitly, announcing that they value their privacy. Otherwise, why are they using Signal? If they didn't value their privacy, if they didn't care about private messaging, then they wouldn't use Signal. But the fact that they are using Signal is a a signal to us that they value their privacy. So we're gonna come in and go, well, if you value your privacy, why are you using Signal? Why wouldn't you use the thing that's actually private, fully private and sovereign and unstoppable? So it might be a tough sale at first, Simply because we're obscure, and because Matrix is a bit more obscure, but wait until Signal starts having problems. Wait until you know. Uh, f- wait until they launch a shitcoin as payment on their platform. I'm sorry, that happened last week, right? So, yeah. <laughs> people are going to abandon Signal because Signal is going to go the way of any centralized nonprofit organization, which is they're going to lose themselves along the way eventually.
0: Yeah, we're already seeing Signal have issues, and, and like you mentioned, launching their own shitcoin—that's a—that's a funding issue. Versus like a, w- yeah. what you're talking about is like the self-hosted aspect of it—is it's decentralized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so excited about Matrix. You know, the second that I that it ships, I'm gonna get everybody I know on it. So, so like, say I'm self-hosting it, how many how many people could I support using uh, Matrix? or Is that not how it works?
1: Oh, you can absolutely. You can Uncle Jim it for everyone you know. And then at the same time, tell them they shouldn't be doing this, (laughs) right? The the key is to be like, oh, of course you can create an account on my matrix server. It's super easy. Here you go. Here's the website, log in, create a username, and boom, you're off in messaging. But why would you do that? Not you. You should say that to them. Be like, oh yeah, you're welcome to do this. But why? Go get your own. Like, Stop trusting people with your data and (laughs) communications. Get your own embassy. So We love the Uncle Jim model because it's convenient and expedient and people can use it to not only impress their friends and family, but to act as utility for their friends and family. But we know that those same people are going to tell their friends and family, you probably shouldn't be trusting me. I know you do trust me because I'm a trustworthy guy, but you should do it right. Don't have me hold your keys. Take your own keys. <laughs> uh, you know, Bitcoiners don't let other Bitcoiners use custody wallets. <laughs> so, so it's like, yeah, onboard your friends and stuff to your matrix, but at the same time, tell them to get their own.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit different than sharing a network pa- or a Netflix password with your friends and family.
1: It's a little different, yeah. Because <laughs> Netflix is already the, the thing in the middle. You're, you're just more access points to the same thing. This is intended to be personal right? It's, it's yours. It's like Netflix is not yours. You're renting Netflix, right? Matrix on an embassy is your property. It's literally like someone sleeping at your house. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're welcome to stay here, but dude, like get your own place, you know, like go get your own apartment. Stop sleeping on my couch. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So like, you know, I for people that are excited about Start9, what are, what are some ways that um, we can support you guys and the company other than in an embassy um the hands down the biggest thing is to to spread
1: the word i mean we do not have uh a huge marketing budget right we don't have a ton of money and the money that we have is going into what it should be going into is product development we want to create the best possible product and provide customer support uh, which doesn't leave a ton of room given our current you know state of financial state to like go do big ad buys, right? We're not going to run some Super Bowl ad. So how do people find out about us? The community they find about out about us through people who have already discovered us and want to spread the word. Um, so doing things like what we're doing right now, being on this podcast and your audience watching it, uh, and going to meetups and telling people. And um, I know it seems small. It's like tell your friends. You know, it's a big deal because if if a well-spoken you know, advocate of what we are doing tells 10 people and convinces five of them not to buy an embassy, just that what we're doing is interesting. And even one out of those five go to our website, fall down the rabbit hole and, uh, end up buying an embassy and then telling 10 people, well, there you go. Now, hopefully we hope the conversion rate is more than one out of 10. And if it is, then it's exponential, right? If every one person converts two, then those two would convert four and those four convert eight, then you have exponential growth. And while we might not experience the fruits of that exponential growth for some time, as in these, these word of mouth viral growth uh, takes a while to really like um, reach critical mass, uh, we think it is. like Our observations of our market, of our customers, uh, is that it's working we are building something real here. This isn't a flash in the pan, like cool product, fad thing. Our customers uh, are taking our request, which is what I'm requesting here and taking action. Like you wanna help, nothing can help more. Well, maybe some things, but the minimum that you could do, which is enormously helpful is spread the word. Now. If someone's interested in getting more involved than that, like what other parts of the company or organization do we need help with? Well, there's a few. So the code uh, is all open source. So if you are a programmer and you think that what we're doing is the future of computing, like we do, what cooler thing to work on, right? Hop in the code base, check it out, find a ticket, take it on, fix it whether it's a bug or a new feature, whatever. And if you're good and you keep doing it, it could actually build towards a formal relationship. Like we'll we'll pay you, right? We'll send you Bitcoin to do what you do. (laughs) But we don't necessarily go out and like, you know, throw the money first. It's more like we want to attract people who want to be working on this technology and then build the relationship organically. I found that to be a much better way of building an organization rather than throwing money in the air and being like, you know, you get people for the wrong reasons that way. Um, so we need help coding period. There's a lot to build and we got to build it. Um, secondly is packaging services. So we just launched our service packaging guide a couple of, about two months ago. And, um, it's pretty good and getting better. It's not that hard to package a service. So if you're, if you're saying, man, I wish there was a, a note-taking app or a to-do app, right? I want to, I want to create my, my grocery lists in a sovereign way, right? I'm sick of Google keep notes, knowing what I'm going to buy at the grocery store. So I want to take my notes or to-do lists on my embassy. Um, well, there's plenty of open source to-do applications out there, right? Go to awesome awesomeselfhosted.com um, or it's not, sorry, it's awesome self-hosted is a GitHub repository on GitHub. And it's just a list of thousands of open source software services that are potential candidates for the embassy find one that you like package it up submit it to us we'll make sure that you didn't package any malware in there you know we'll we'll test it we'll run it we'll vet it um we'll make sure that it has a good looking image and, and then when it's ready which doesn't take that long depending on the service we'll put it on the store and give you credit for packaging it up uh, and again, there's a potential here to actually build a formal relationship, where it's like if you're packaging a lot of services and you want to keep doing it, sure, we'll we'll pay you, but you know, get started first. Um, and then uh, other areas are design. We have a severe deficiency in this company uh, with design. None of us, I would argue, are. I, I don't want to say this because I'm going to offend some people on my team. <laughs> who think they're maybe a little better than what I'm about to say, but none of us are professional artists. Um, We don't do advanced professional design work, whether it's logos or or animations or splash screens or even the backdrop of our website. Like it's all very kind of amateur, right? Like I wouldn't, I don't hate our branding. I don't hate our aesthetic, but it could absolutely be better. Right, like our presentation to the world is not like, oh, that looks nice, you know, like that's a sleek looking thing. It's it's more like, okay, it's not bad, <laughs> it's okay. Um, so we need help with that stuff, and we don't have anybody internally. I can't afford to hire a full time in house designer to basically go through and rebrand us and do all this. That stuff's expensive, and it's and it's risky too doing a rebrand like that. So. But if anybody in the community was like, "Hey, I got an idea for a new logo, or I got this, or I want that," send it my way. All right. If it's good, I'll at minimum implement it and give you credit for it, and at most, pay you, um, you know, and support you in any way that I can in your own business and line of work. So, design, um, and then uh, support, customer support. So. Luckily, we have a really helpful, awesome community. And if you go into our Telegram channel um, and ask a question, uh, if you're having a problem with your embassy, and you say, hey, you know, this happened, what's going on? Um, I'm usually kind of just living in there and answering these questions in the middle of the night. But the more people from the community start helping each other, um, the more I and the team will be able to focus on delivering value, on writing code, and delivering new products so anyone who feels that they are an expert or at least good at their embassy and know how to do things really well um answer some questions in the support channel right like take a take some time here and there to or turn turn notifications on and then if you see a question that you know how to answer like jump in there and answer it and i'll be super grateful and that's it
0: yeah that's awesome um I, by the way, I like the aesthetic of Start9 personally. Cool. Great. Uh, but... <laughs> Maybe we're not as bad as I think.
1: But... <laughs> yeah, I don't know.
0: I, I, I think it's pretty great, but I, I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so yeah, where are some good places that people can keep up to date with Start9? I know you mentioned the Telegram group as a good one, um, but yeah.
1: The Telegram group. Uh, so if you go to our website, which as of yesterday is Start9.com. So we dropped the labs, which is fantastic because it was really hard to just say it. start 9 people would be like, uh, lab? No, start9.com. It's a much smaller bite-sized communication. So um, that's our website. And if you go to the bottom, there's a whole bunch of community channels. So we have Telegram where basically the whole team is there all the time and we'll, you'll get us right away. Um, we have a matrix community channel, which is probably going to become the main community channel. As soon as we launch matrix on the embassy, we're going to sort of deprecate telegram. We're not going to shut it off right away, but we will move people over. Um, and then we have Twitter where, uh, you know, I, uh, am responsive over DMS to the company account. Also personally, I'm responsive. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Those are our community channels.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I'm just looking at the the matrix now. I might try and play around with that even before you guys ship it cuz it sounds awesome, Good. but
1: Yeah, you yeah. can create an account on the Matrix Mothership, right? So matrix.org isn't is a foundation, a nonprofit organization that develops the Matrix protocol and software, but they also have hosting. They host an instance of matrix, a massive one. That is the largest instance of matrix in the world that most people use because very few people self-host. So they're all using that instance. You can just create your user there. And what's cool about that is you still have access to the entire federation. So the matrix protocol is not peer to peer and it's not centralized. It's the thing in between, which is federation, right? So if, if you create a user on the Matrix home server, you can actually join a chat room that's hosted on Start9's server, and it's our community chat. So you could create a user on our server, your server, or the Matrix home server. It doesn't matter where you create your user, all of these things federate together and create a network. It's exactly how Mastodon works, uh, by the way. So yeah, try it. And then when you get your own, just create a new user.
0: Yeah, awesome. I'm definitely gonna try. I I am spending so much time playing around with my uh embassy.
1: <laughs> we should talk about it's... pages for a second.
0: Yeah. Because you had brought for. it up before we
1: started and it's one of our new releases, and it was a shock. Like nobody saw pages coming, including me. Um Pages was a Aiden McClelland, aka Dr. Bones special. Um Aiden is sort of known for showing up on random Tuesdays and just saying, hey guys, guess what? I built this crazy thing that you never imagined. He's very good at that. And he does it more often than anyone should. But um, he showed up and was just like, I built this thing. And at the time it wasn't even called Embassy Pages. It didn't have a name. And we were like, all right, well, what is it? What can you do? And he was basically like, all right, so you can now host a website from your embassy. So if you want others in the world to be able to view a website, just like, you know, if I created matthill.net, that's a website that I host for the world. Um, he was like, you can now host a, a website on your embassy at your tour address. And not only that, but you could host as many websites as you want, each on a different subdomain. Like you could do like blah.onion, and blah.onion." And those would be two different websites, both hosted from your embassy, neither visible to the other. And you could just create as many websites as you want on your embassy. Um, and we we did this by leveraging uh, File Browser, which is also a service on the embassy. So the way that you host a website on your embassy is you take the website files, like the actual directory of the website, like index.html, blah, 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 and you can go get these things online. Like If you go on Google and just look for free website templates, there will be hundreds of cool website templates that you can download. And then take that downloaded directory. You'll probably have to unzip it and then upload it to File Browser and put it in some folder. So go into your File Browser service and type in, you know, my website, my resume website or something like that. And then take the directory from the free download that you got from the internet and upload it to File Browser, put it in that folder. And then you go into Embassy Pages. And you just tell Embassy Pages where to find that thing in file browser. So all you have to do is go into Embassy Pages and say, oh, I put it in my resume website slash whatever the thing was called that you downloaded, website, sample website, right? So my Embassy website slash sample website, save. And what Embassy Pages will do when you hit save is it will take that entire website and just serve it on your Tor address, your Onion address. which is super powerful, right? Because in order to serve a good website, you have to be a web developer. Nothing there changes. It's not like Embassy Pages is like a web designer site. It's like if you already have the power and the skill to to build a website, now you can, with the push of a button, host it on a Tor hidden service on your embassy. That's the power of pages. However, there is a non-technical usage of Embassy Pages, which... We think is very cool and actually came about from guns and Bitcoin. So when we were at the conference, my dog is all over me right now. Go on, Maxie. Um, So when we were at the conference, we had multiple people come up to our booth with the question of, can they use the embassy to host, serve 3D printing schematics? files for 3D printed guns. And we were like, well, yeah, I mean, if you wanted to, the embassy is a server and we have a thing called file browser and you could take the files for your schematics and put them into file browser and then share that link with people that you wanted to be able to see it. And as we're saying that we're like that's not super efficient, right? You you don't want to like share a folder. It's like, sh- you know, uploading something to Google Drive or Dropbox and then sharing that folder with specific people, it's very personal. It's like, I need to share the link with you for you to be able to access it. What if I just wanted to host them for the whole world? What if I was just like, hey, planet Earth, I have some some 3D printing designs, here's where they live. Well, with Pages, you can do that. So what Embassy Pages allows you to do is you just take a folder Like, say, like you have a folder, a normal folder, and it's filled with three files. These are dot, uh, what dot doc. So these are either doc files or pages files or txt files, doesn't matter. Just a file with printing in it, right? And just put those in the directory. Then go to embassy pages and say, I want to create a website on the subdomain 3D prints. Great. So this website is now going to be called 3Dprints.blahblahblahblah.onion, blah, right? And point it at that folder that you put in Embassy Pages. Now keep in mind, what you put in Embassy Pages is just a folder with files in it. That's it. Point—that's what you put in File Browser. Point Embassy Pages at that folder, and hit Save. Now you can post that website anonymously or whatever depends on what you're hosting there. And anyone on Earth can now open up a Tor browser and plug in 3D prints dot blah 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 dot onion and will immediately on the screen just see the folder and all the files. And there's nothing that can stop that. There's no way to take that down. Like it's a little, it's a little like unnerving when you when you realize the full power of this. Like, Embassy pages plus file browser plus embassy. So embassy pages run on the embassy basically enables somebody to serve any arbitrary set of files to the entire world over Tor um, with impunity. Now, if you share those files on Twitter, right? Like if I go in and I, I post on Twitter, like, hey, everyone, I got this website. It's over here. And what you're hosting there is bad stuff or illegal stuff. You better expect a call from from law enforcement. Um, So that's a consideration that people need to make for themselves. Embassy and embassy pages is just web hosting technology. It's very sort of use case agnostic technology. Uh, The technology doesn't care what you use it for, but you might and people in your life might. So be careful uh, about what you use it for. But that was part of how this came about was the recognition that embassy, the way that it is designed, can be used um, to post content that is censorship resistant, highly censorship resistant.
0: Well, it sounds like you just destroyed the whole uh, use case of the IPFS right there. Um, it's, it's important to
1: pursue various tracks towards the future because you never know which ones may present challenges or come under attack. Um, so we support IPFS and its vision, and we will in fact offer IPFS, IPFS nodes and services based on IPFS on the embassy. So, um, but is IPFS necessary to produce a Uh, decentralized future. No, it is a good strategy though, Hmm.
0: but there are others. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, So yeah, kind of closing out uh, what, what's uh, like, we're, we're going into probably another chaotic summer. And I think a lot of people are going to feel demoralized, you know, going forward kind of like we've felt over the past year. Uh, What, what's really giving you hope and encouragement right now like looking for forward in the future uh so
1: depending on the timeline i'm either an extreme pessimist a pessimist an optimist or an extreme optimist and um so those literally correlate to time on the short term i'm an extreme pessimist i think that the world is in big trouble right now i do not see how we pull out of the current situation without more damage. Um, in the short to medium term, I'm a pessimist in that I think this is going to take a while to resolve. And I don't mean COVID or the election. I'm talking more broadly than that. Like the world has problems. Uh, there are, there's a lot of confusion. Um, there's a lot of really anachronistic infrastructure, financial and technological, that is decaying And the house is, quote unquote, falling down. So I don't think that that's something that can be resolved overnight. And I think that the near to medium term future is going to be a battle. I think it's going to be a struggle and that a lot of people, unfortunately, are going to fall through the cracks during this transition. Um, Medium to long term, I'm an optimist in that I think what we're building is a viable replacement. I think that we and Bitcoin and the entire decentralized movement and a new understanding of Austrian economics and you know, uh, hopefully with, you know, some reinvention of education, um, of which there are viable models, uh, that we can come out of this chaos, out of this next prolonged crisis, the crisis that we're currently in better as, as a world, as a species, um, a more free and prosperous world. I really do think that that is the future. It's not a hope. I think that that is the most likely outcome based on my own perspective, Uh, And then in the long-term, I'm just an extreme optimist. I believe that this, uh, and when I say this, I don't mean this year or even this decade. I mean this moment in human history, which could be a century, right? When you're talking about history, a year is nothing. 10 years is almost nothing. A century might start to be something. But this period of human history, this is our moment of glory. This is when we do it, right? This is when we go from being these like, self-destructive adolescent (laughs) douchebags to being like people of the stars, right? We're going to like, we're going to leave this planet. We're going to invent, um, you know, systems that scale, uh, money that works, technology that serves. We are going to break um, these sort of anachronistic expectations of what a human life is and what morality is um and i just i see a free future i I see a future for humanity where we grow up and we get it and people can live their life however they see fit and minimize to the maximum extent the amount of suffering uh death in the world and it's like i know that sounded really corny but i but I, th- that is based on very worldly grounded observations uh, and it's primarily driven by technology as the primary driving force towards this better future. But when technology pushes the envelope as it is, all the other aspects of society tend to follow along, right? Like when technology enforces makes people behave better by setting the proper incentives and providing the proper defenses, then all of a sudden, people start acting different. The incentive structure changes, and suddenly it's like what happens when you discover Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin, the technology, triggered Bitcoiner investigation, which triggered economic investigation, which triggered new ways of thinking about how to live your life, which, I mean, it's like the technology blows the door open and then everything is possible. And the technologies that we are inventing in this world right now are just off the charts. I mean, we're talking about medical technology that could potentially allow people to live for centuries. Uh, We're talking about artificial intelligence that could make accomplishing goals, uh, tasks, one one hundredth, one one thousandth of the amount of time, right? Like artificial intelligence is going to take our our brains and our normal course of solving problems and just put them on this. It's a rocket ship for, for problem solving. Um, and then we have interstellar travel, uh, we have decentralized, uh, monetary systems. Um, and these are just, you know, virtual reality. How cool is that? Right. How cool is it going to be when you can actually do matrix style stuff, you know, like, like move in a digital world. Um, It'll make visiting friends and family unbelievable, even from a different planet. Uh, so yeah, I'm super optimistic. I'm about the most optimistic person I know on a long enough time frame.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like that perspective. I, I try and tell people over and over again that we live in a pivotal point of human history and we have an opportunity to really shape the future.
1: Yep.
0: And I'm with you on that 100%. You I know, also honestly- think it's probabilistic. As in what I just said
1: is not bound to happen. Mm-hmm. There is an alternate future that is not somewhere I want to live, uh, yeah. but is absolutely possible. Which is why it's so critical that we get this right. <laughs> um, you know that the people who can do something do something.
0: Yeah, yeah, I really like that. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, Matt. It's a great conversation. Look forward to tracking what's going on with start nine and (laughs) i'm going to keep on plugging away trying to figure it out so stay involved um don't be
1: afraid to ask questions if you are stuck on something we're here to help and i appreciate you having me on and anytime anytime you want to chat with me or anybody on the team for that matter just let me know awesome
0: that was a really fun conversation with matt hill from start nine go check him out great company really excited about them and and their mission what they're doing and you know like you said they're one of the few companies if not the only company that's really going that direction right now and i think that's something to to get behind and support is uh uh you know the push for sovereign computing as he says you know that's a that's kind of a cool term but yeah anyways uh fun episode with him big thank you for him coming on really enjoy him. gonna going to really enjoy following their work uh, as they push all these updates uh, going forward. I think 2021 is going to be a massive year for Start9. It already has been, and I think it's just going to continue to grow as people see the importance for the work that they're doing. Um, but yeah, uh, had some great meetups last week in Phoenix and Tucson. I um, was really, really excited to see the energy Uh, in the community so if you haven't checked out your local meetup definitely go check it out there it's a great spot to learn meet people that are interested in bitcoin and interested in really a more self-sovereign lifestyle because there's no such thing as a sovereign individual you know there's sovereign communities of, of individuals now you can take sovereignty into your own hands but you need people around you to support you and um to become more sovereign i think a bitcoin meetup is one of the best ways to do that and yeah hope you enjoyed this episode and have a good one